0: Tonight, Garden of Emunah class, the topic is about faith, of course, Emuna. And, and the topic is that you count. And I picked this topic to connect it with this week's Torah portion, Bamidbar, and I did so specifically because our sages tell us that we're always reading the Torah portion of Bamidbar. In the vicinity of the holiday of shavuot we're coming up soon tomorrow morning god willing and emails going out with a guide with times and everything for the holiday of shavuot the holiday of shavuot is the 8th and the 9th the 7th and 9th you like candles 8th and 9th and it's the day where we became we uh, received the torah zman mat torah Teno. What does this week's Torah portion have to do with that? The portion of Bamidba in the, ne- in the desert, it's pretty much primarily about or in totally about the counting, taking a census of the Jewish people, about the position in which they camped and traveled, uh, and then specifically the tribe of Levi was counted separately. What does that have to do, A, with Shavuot, that we always read it before Shavuot? And B, what does it have to do with faith? This class is about Emunah. So, I'm going to start with telling you a story. A letter that I once read from the Rebbe that the Rebbe wrote to a shliach. It was in the early years. The shliach was complaining. I'm reading from the Rebbe's response, so I'm understanding what the shliach wrote to the Rebbe. The shliach was complaining that he's not worthy and he's not fit for his shlichut. So, the previous Rebbe was the one that sent this person as a shliach and an emissary to work with the Jewish community, build up the Jewish community, teach, give them their spiritual needs, help them physically connecting to each other, to be able to help the community grow. And he's writing back to the Rebbe that he's not fit for the job. He can't do it. He doesn't see that he's having success and yada, yada, yada. So what's important to me that I want to share with you right now is the Rebbe's response. And this is the Rebbe's response. To have doubt whether you are befitting of the position that you ascend to is not to have doubt in yourself. It's actually to have doubt in He who chose you and sent you. Let's listen to what the Rebbe is saying here. The Rebbe is telling this person that you should know that my father-in-law chose you and sent you to do this job. So if you're writing to me that you don't have what it takes, So you feel that you're only talking about yourself. You feel that you're trying to express that I am not befitting. But think in the bigger picture. When you say that I am not befitting and don't have what it takes to do the job, who you're really casting doubt upon is the person who chose you and who sent you saying that he made a mistake, he either overestimated me, underestimated the task, but what I am saying is what the Rebbe is telling this person, what you're saying is that you don't match the task and thus he who sent you made a mistake. Why is this so important, The story? What does this have to do with Amunah? And how can we practically strengthen our Amuna and cut off another road that the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, uses to weaken and to throw doubt into our Amunah, our faith? Let's go back now to the question I started with the reason why we read the Torah portion of Bamidbar, which talks about the counting of the Jewish people why do we always read that in the time of Shavuos is for a very important reason to understand the reason I need to share with you a law which is in the laws of Kashrut it's not just Kashrut but it's in the laws of Taruvot of mixtures you probably all heard it In this way so i'll stick to the way you know even though there are many different ways it could be one in sixty one in a hundred one in two one in a thousand depending what we're talking about but you want you probably once heard that if you have a chicken soup and by mistake milk poured into the chicken soup if you can be certain that there are 60 times the amount of chicken soup then there is the amount of milk that fell into it then you should know that it's kosher that's what we call batul bishishim it is nullified in 60th and then there are different categories there are some that's chad betray one and two there's some that's chad the depends what you're talking about the kosher specifically that we're talking about here is flavor and flavor was estimated 160th because that's the way milk and meat works in flavor but there's laws of maaser and other laws which is a hundred and so forth and so on the main focus here is the law of bitul something loses its identity and there's whole laws here is one of the laws a davar shebiminyan something which is counted will never become batul For example, there is an argument in law about eggs. How do you buy eggs? We buy a dozen eggs. That's a number. We don't buy a pound of eggs. So something that's bought by numbers never loses its identity. Not one in sixty, not one in a hundred, and so forth and so on. Why so? Because the law is that something that has importance, a davar chashuv, an important thing, does not become nullified. Now let's go back to why we do this parsha before Shavuot. Shavuot is the time when the Jewish people became a nation with a specific identity. You've all heard the famous saying or teaching verse, as one sheep amongst 70 wolves. If you count the percentage of the Jewish people amongst the human race, how many millions of Jews are there? God bless them. And what percentage of that is there to 6 billion, approximately, people? So what would happen here is that the Jewish person may think that just by the mere laws, according to Torah, the percentage, the ratio, one would think that a Jew loses his identity in the face of the human race. But when we realize, before we even begin, We realize that we are a Dover Shebeminion. God counted us, which makes each and every Jew a Dover Chashuv, important, of value. And the law is that such an item will not lose its identity regardless of the ratio, percentage, and so forth and so on. Now let's talk about what this has to do with Emunah. You see, the Talmud says that the Yetzirah is a master in his trait. The Yetzirah knows how to approach a person. The Yetzirah knows that if he approaches a person and tells the person straight up, I want you to not believe in God. Or I want you to go straight to idol worship. Needless to say, that you won't listen. Because from where, on where he is now to idol worship is just unquestionable. It's not happening. So the Etahara is smart. The Etahara is a genius. He knows approach the situation very differently. He knows that the way to approach the situation is not by telling the Jew to cast doubt on his belief in God. Rather, quite the contrary. He tells the Jew, I want you to cast doubt on yourself. Now this, not only can the Jew perceive as it being not a problem in Emunah, he can actually, unfortunately, hide behind something called humility. I doubt myself, that's not a bad thing. It's from the family of being humble. Someone who's so certain of themselves and speaks so certainly of themselves we always associate that with ego, uh, mistakenly so. But in the weak mind, the insecure mind, I should say the weak mind, I say in a mind that deals with insecurity, it's very easy to misconstrue and put together doubt, self-doubt with humility and overly certain with yourself with arrogance and ego. So the Yitzhahara says, how am I going to approach this person and attack his emuna? Let me not talk about God yet. Let me first talk about him, her. Let's talk about the doubt they should have in themselves. Let's talk about the number game. Let's talk about X amount of millions of Jews in the face of 6 billion people. Let's get more localized. Let's talk about this in your own neighborhood. Let's take it to the next level. Let's talk about amongst the Jewish people itself. How many keep kosher? How many keep Shabbos? What's the percentage? And little by little, the Yetzirah has not yet begun to speak to you about doubting God. He hasn't even spoke to you about doubting God's love for you. He's approaching you with a very, very sinister approach. Doubt yourself. Six billion people What relationship exactly do you think you individually have with God? How important are you to God? Can you fulfill your purpose and mission? And then slowly but surely, the next step is to start doubting That statement in the Talmud that says that God works according to the camel's back is the load. Did God underestimate the load or did he overestimate me because I don't have what it takes? Our sages say, God doesn't come with difficulties upon his creations. Not only doesn't he overload, he doesn't even max it out. The doubt starts creeping in there. So tonight's class of Amuna is dealing, we're backing off for a moment. Till now we were talking directly about your trust in God. Your trust in God's goodness, you're trusting God's goodness to you. You're trusting God's unconditional love to you. Tonight, we're talking about a different topic. Tonight, we're talking about immediately, immediately sensing when the Etzahara is tricking you by approaching you not with doubt in God, but with self-doubt. Because self-doubt is just another one of those ugly heads of doubting God. It's just rearing its ugly head in a different fashion, but ultimately self-doubt is doubting God. Now you understand why I started with the story of the Rebbe and the Rebbe's letter to the emissary of the previous Rebbe. Doubting whether you can, doubting whether you have what it takes, ultimately speaking, is not doubting you, it's not self-doubt, it's actually doubting He who sent you. Thus, self doubt is not doubting yourself, it's doubting He who created you. You've heard from me before the story about the person that was walking, and I believe it was a princess or someone who was in a wagon and told him, a certain great sage, You're so ugly. And he answered back to the person, the sage answered back, go to the artist, the craftsman who made me. If we all understand that with certainty, that ultimately speaking, we are the product, we were made by God, Everything we have or don't have all the ingredients that went in is all by God. I want to push the buck. I gave a class this week to someone, two people in their house. Topic came up. Faith. And the comment that was made to me was, you know, not everyone grew up in a healthy family, loving parents. We were talking about Pesach Sheni, understanding the unconditional love that those Jews must have had when they knew that there's no way they can be part of the Passover experience and yet with certainty they went over to Moses, asking Moses, how is this going to work out? With certainty. And the reason for the certainty was very simple. Because they knew That God unconditionally loves them, something's gonna work out. And I was emphasizing that point how strong their self, you know, certainty of God's unconditional love to them was that instead of sitting in their tent and having a pity party, that it's all over, it's lost, the only Passover experience that is going to be in the 40 years of the desert, and we're not gonna be able to experience it, they didn't, because they were so sure went to moses and that's when this person responded to me with saying well you know not everyone is brought up in such a healthy family it takes being brought up in a family where unconditional love is the environment and thus you feel that way but if you didn't have that unconditional love when you were growing up then it's very hard you don't have a point of reference through which to see God's unconditional love. It's really very hard. Someone who is brought up with a mother or a father with unconditional love has a very strong point of reference of saying if this is how my mother or my father or both of them, how they felt about me and their human beings, they're finite. Imagine now when I read that the Baal Shem Tov says that God loves every single Jew like a child that was born in the elder years of parents, their only child, that was born to them later on in life. They have a very strong point of reference. But someone who doesn't have that, someone who unfortunately was born into a not-so-loving environment or whatever life may have, you know, placed upon them, so this individual is asking me for such a person, it's not that easy. Let's go back to what we're saying tonight. Mr. A, Mr. B, Miss C, is who we're going to use here. This Miss C was born into the unhealthy environment. This Miss C was not brought up with unconditional love. This Miss C has no point of reference to understand at all when we talk about God's unconditional love. When we talk about how God shuts down the prosecuting angel saying, I'm not interested in retribution, I'm interested in their teshuva. And that comes from unconditional love. And Miss C doesn't know what that feels like. Never had it. This would be a very strong moment for self-doubt. And it's not even my fault. But that's the point we need to talk about. Ultimately speaking, Who chooses the journey of every single individual? The verse says that our footsteps are prepared by God. We don't go anywhere. We don't go through anything that God hasn't specifically chosen for us. So therefore, understanding that if this individual went through this upbringing then it's just a matter of finding where this person has within them the gateway into the strongest Emunah, even though they don't have the normal point of reference that a child being born into a loving environment would have. But for this person to think that I can't relate to Emunah, I can't relate to Hashem's love. I can't relate to Hashem's unconditional love. Always forgiving as long as we're willing to do teshuva. Because Miss C grew up in a very unforgiving family. In a very tough family. In a very cold family. For Miss C to think and have self-doubt is not to question herself or her environment, is to question he, capital H, who sent this soul down through this journey. Because if we do believe in what the Talmud says, that every camel is loaded only to its capacity, and we do believe in what the sages say that God does not come upon with difficulties and any of his creations God is compassionate then the question just remains okay so where is my gateway other people's gateway is an unconditionally unconditional loving mother where's my gateway Where's my gateway into faith? Where's my gateway into opening myself up for God's unconditional love? So what I'm sharing with you here is that we are not one of 13, 16 million. We're not one of 6 billion. We are one and only that was handcrafted by God. So important to God that He counts us, each one an individual number. Every single detail in our psyche, in our development, in what we've been through, in what environment we were brought into this world, Every single one of those details is handcrafted by God. And thus you understand that the opening statement of the Eight Sahara, oh no, 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 don't doubt God. God is perfect. We're talking about you, we're not talking about God. We're talking about self doubt. Understand that self doubt is doubting God. Self-doubt is an attack against Emunah. Not against you, not against your ego, or anything like that. I want to be very clear with this. Because I find in myself, I find in people I deal with, I find that that's a very tricky little slope that turns into a very slippery slope into the real challenges of emuna. So how do you deal with self doubt How do you deal with it? It's there. And for some of us, each, I shouldn't say for some of us, each of us when we look in the mirror, we probably justify our self-doubt. Many of us are extremely bothered by people who don't have self-doubt. I told you before, we make this erroneous correlation between self-doubt equals humility and absolute certainty equals arrogance. When it's not true. It's absolutely not true. When you talk to a tzaddik, when you talk to a person who is well versed in Torah without any self, what's the word I'm looking for? um, Ulterior motives. When you speak to them, there is zero doubt. If you ask them a question or they're going to fight for a cause which they feel is the code of Jewish law's opinion, you will not be able to get in their way. And then you have other people who are just plagued with self-doubt even when they learn something. They just learned the law. It's black and white. And someone asks them that question and they'll say, yeah, I just learned it, but let me make sure with my rabbi. And not that I'm saying it's not good to make sure, but that's self-doubt. It's self-doubt. And this self-doubt destroys us inside out. It destroys us because it destroys our emunah in Hashem. It destroys our emunah that God has equipped us with everything we need to fulfill our mission and purpose to its highest success possible. So the question on the table is, how do you deal with self-doubt? And that's why I told you the story about the sage who was, wasn't handsome and was told so and answered. Go to the craftsmanship. Who made me? Go to the craftsman. Go to the artist. You see, the answer to self-doubt is that I was made by God. Therefore, I have everything I need to do my job. Now, not doing research, not preparing yourself is not self-doubt. Our sages say, he who works before Shabbat has what to eat on Shabbat. Well, if you didn't work all week and you didn't prepare your Shabbos meal, then worrying about what you're going to have to eat on Shabbos isn't self-doubt. So that's not what we're talking about. You do your homework, you prepare yourself, You realize what you could and what you can't. You don't bite off more than you chew. Everything is normal. Everything is the way it should be. And then, you still have self-doubt. So I need to end with the story I began with. The answer from the Rebbe. You're not doubting yourself. You're doubting God who created you. You're doubting whether God really knows what he did or didn't put in you. You're doubting whether God really does or doesn't know what your journey entails. So tonight, we're focusing on something that, believe it or not, may be more difficult than anything we've spoken up to date. By the way, Garden of Amunah has already 23 CDs out from this class. And I'm telling you that out of all the 23 lectures that we had here, tonight may be one of the most difficult ones. For self doubt just has a unique challenge to it. Because all you did was, in reality, you rerouted, redressed your doubt in God. Into self-doubt but they are exactly one and the same exactly one and the same not almost alike not first cousins they are exactly the same to doubt whether you have everything you need whether you are created exactly the way you need to be created To fulfill your purpose, whether you were born to the right family that would nourish you and develop you emotionally, intellectually, preparing you for your journey. If you doubt any of that then you're doubting the author, the craftsman, the creator. Now What is the answer to this? There are people who are brought up in very difficult environments. There are people who are born with very difficult, challenging ways of thinking, thought patterns, characteristics, emotions. There are people that were born with these challenges. So I want to be practical. It is said that when someone goes blind, God forbid, his hearing becomes impeccable. Yeah, there is the blind, deaf, and everything. But I'm talking about normally speaking. It is amazing if someone's willing not to fall into the pity, self pity pit. Of self doubt and why me, and I can't. But if someone's willing to embrace that, if this is my handicap, then I must have another area which is double as good to make up for this handicap. Because all of God's creations are complete. Complete and complete to the sense that they can fulfill their purpose. So if you're asking me to give you a practical step against self-doubt, when you really have reason, reasonable reason, for self-doubt, then all I can share with you is, if you're right that you're lacking here, without any shadow of a doubt, I tell you, you're well over-endowed over there. Because you can't be lacking in the sum total. So if you're missing here, you have more than average over there. Because God gave you a mission. We find this with every single creature. For those of you who appreciate science, for those who appreciate the animal kingdom, you will see every animal is given its challenge and with it, its way of survival. If that's true in the animal kingdom, how much more so in the chosen creation, the human race. And yes, amongst the human race, much more so to the Jewish people who are given not just the seven Noahide laws, but the mission of 613 commandments with all its offshoots and rabbinical buffer zones. It is impossible to believe that God told me to do something and then didn't give me what it takes to do it. I'm going to say that again, because here is your exact equation. Self-doubt, equals doubt in God. It is impossible to believe that God gave me a mission and did not give me what I need to be able to fulfill my mission. It may be that we're stubborn. We want to do it this way. And God says, no, not for you. You need to do it that way. But he did it this way. He's he. You're you. He has his brushstroke of the master painting. You have yours. It could be that we need to stop arguing with God about how we're going to do it. It could be we need to stop quetching how unfair it is that for them it's so easy and for me it's so hard as if we know what really goes on in anyone else's life. But tonight... I cannot say it enough times, self-doubt is not about doubting yourself, it's about doubting God, God who created you. And therefore, we need to attack self-doubt with the same ferociousness that we would attack someone telling us that God doesn't exist. or that God isn't all-powerful. They're one and the same, my friends. They're one and the same. And the way you attack it is by just telling yourself. I want to share this with you once. I grew up in California in my high school years. There was pip printing. And pip printing used to always put out these cute posters. And that is one cute poster of this little kid with with his hands like this on the table, with his chin on on his hands, looking all dejected. And on top it says, I know I can't be nothing because God doesn't create nothing. It's not about me. I didn't create myself. If I created myself, then I can laugh and really say I botched up. This one came out wrong. But if I know that I didn't create myself, God created me. And if I know that my footsteps, ultimately speaking, were chosen by God, God prepares the footsteps of mankind, then without a doubt or a shadow of a doubt, I need to believe that I am well equipped equipped with everything I need to do what I need to do. Guys, that's it for tonight.